Cradeline Network. So, you know, um, we're getting started on this episode, but I, I want you to know an interesting fact, Fox. I, I love that, interesting facts, Conrad. Yeah, and this is one that's interesting mostly just to you and me and the people who listen to this podcast, so it's very specific. Okay. But when this episode comes out mm-hmm. in uh, February 15th of 2021, okay. all right, the distant future... At the same time, or later this week, 2000 AD will release episode, um, Prague number 2219. Okay. Which means, Fox, as we're reaching uh, Prague 743 this episode, we have officially crossed the barrier and we've completed one third of 2000 Oh, my AD. God. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, finally. That doesn't feel half as bad as when you said 10%. Oh. No, man. Come on. 33.333 feels pretty good. It's actually uh, 33.48. Our previous episode was 33.32, but we've smashed through that barrier. Oh, my God. That feels so good. All right. Well, that only took us like, what, like a year? Yeah, four years, maybe. (laughs) I mean... Just so you know, 10% was in 2017, buddy. It's a whole different world from that. Oh, my God. I might be like 45 by the time we actually catch up. Listen, you know, it's the the pursuit, not the destination. I mean, you know, it's the persimmons, not the dates or whatever. So now let's get continue on to the show. My name is Conrad, along with my friend Fox. This is the 242nd episode of Space Spinner 2000. Good lord. Podcast where two Americans are going to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for July and August 1991, Prog 740 to 743. This time, Judge Dredd goes to school, Tanner visits his past. Bix Barton finds love, Friday brings the jungle, and we're all dead meat as a new thrill starts. Oh, one of my favies. <laughs> if you want to read along, you find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 16, Indigo Prime Killing Time, and the Judge Dredd Magazine 298. And all right. Conrad, must I will say, bum ba da bum 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 Oh no! Wait, no, that's the eighteen twelve overture. But anyway, I'm in. I I'm in Britain. Pom- I'm in the greatest of Britons. Yeah, I think you mean bum ba dum bum bum ba dum ba dum bum bum. There we go. I'm in. I'm in the. Uh, I'm in the most united of kingdoms. Although, Excellent, uh, buddy. Yeah, man. Yeah, you're in the uh, in the in the homeland of 2000 AD. It's where lovely. Tharg himself touched down in a. Uh, spaceship disguised in office building low these many years ago. I, I am finding out a great many things, uh, like that I have to be quarantined for 12 more days before I can um, access, like, people outside. If it's not, like, so yeah. I, I go on super early morning walks at, like, 6.30 just so I don't bother anybody and also don't spread potential um, crovids. Um, but, man, <clears throat> I'm in a place called the Belvedere House. Ooh. I, I, it sounds so fancy, but it's like right next to like, you know, 
or right across from like an, an auto park. Um, and, uh, that's, yeah. that, that sounds real. I, I'm just imagining everybody in there sounds like Mr. Belvedere. So it's like living inside <laughs> of, uh, it's like living inside of a kit from Knight Rider or something like I mean, that. I think those are the same it, guys. It definitely it feels like corporate apartments, which I guess is is kind of like the effect of what it is because it's owned by like a mm-hmm. company. Um, but I have had several deliveries, and this is the first time in which like because I you know I've I've listened to some accents in my life where I've had someone yeah. come to my door and I I have. This is really bad. I just didn't understand what the exchange was. Um, but, it, I mean, everything was okay because he was like, hey, thanks yeah. for uh, taking this big heavy package upstairs. And I'm like, well, it's my package. And then he said a bunch of other stuff I didn't understand and then drove away in a small <laughs> so you're, van. You're coming, you're coming from Germany where everybody who speaks English is trying really hard to speak English because it's not their <laughs> native language. But in England – People, you know, like in America, for the record, like people do – oftentimes people do not try very hard to speak English and thus it is hard to figure nah, out. You just you just kind of roll through it. So I, I'm, I'm, I have to learn some dialectics um, and – Just dialects, I think. Oh, yeah. Is that is that other thing a bad thing? I mean, it's just a thing. Okay. It's like um, – it's a concept <laughs> I was of just uh, very two things worried. That, that oppose each other. Yeah, I was just very worried it was maybe a Nazi thing or something and I didn't realize No, it. no, 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 yeah, no. They, they liked their words. Um, so, so far, a dialectic is 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 used the, – the Hegelian dialectic is used by the New World Order to control us though, Fox. Oh. That's where they – that's where they create a problem and then give us a solution to that problem to better con- control us and these, stuff. These new world order people always, always uh, trying to honestly make me fry eggs a little bit better, I imagine. I mean, in my new yeah. world order, it'd be a lot easier to both get and fry eggs. Yeah, I, I, I just want to say one more thing and then we're going to get to it, Fox. Go for <laughs> which it. Which is that as we do this, it is in fact also Christmas Eve as we're recording. Right oh. oh, yeah. No, because I, I landed two days ago. It's uh, it's really been rad and very easy to come into this wonderful country. And definitely there aren't any problems about getting my wife, my cat or my stuff over here at all. It's there the are holidays no and all all you got to see you through is Conrad talking about, about comic books. I mean, that's... That and like wrestling and some some like conspiracy theories. I mean, we're gonna be okay. Yeah, listen. Oh, dude. Yeah, we gotta we gotta watch some. Okay, never mind. Let's let's talk about this off off podcast. But speaking of voices that people listen to to um to make their day easier, Fox. I mean, <laughs> or maybe not. Ooh. Um. Thrill one, Judge Dredd. Oh, God. I mean, there's one thing, and I know you're going to bring it up, and it's going to make me really happy. <laughs> uh, script robot Garth Ennis, art robots uh, Glenn, Fa- Glenn Fabry, Gary Erskine, si- and Simon Colby, coloring robot Gina Hart, letting robot a Tom Frame. My boy. Our first, we're starting Judge Dredd out. This story is called Talk Back, but was originally called Everyone Killed the Radio Star. Oh. When it was first being developed. That feels right. <laughs> yeah, it's the return of a uh, slain artist, uh, Glenn Fabry, to the Prague, who's been out away for a little while, and someone's gone headfirst into the garbage grinder. Oh, man, but there's such a good thing here going on, bud. 
Well, I guess I before we do anything, before on this one, I guess we should say like content warning suicide. So if that's something that bothers you, you might want to skip ahead like five minutes. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. There's a lot in here. What's cool here, Fox? What do you got for me? The human remains bucket that they're just dumping yes. pieces into. It's the best part of all of this. Absolutely. Scooping stuff from the trash compactor into, and it's a labeled human remains bucket. Yeah, purpose-built human, human remains bucket. Yes, yes. Yeah, someone's gone headfirst into a garbage dra- grinder as judges load the body into the uh, HRB, and we learn that, in fact, the guy in there is none other than CJC, cool Johnny Cool. Johnny, Johnny Cool. Yeah, we've met this Mega City disc jockey a few times before, Fox. You might remember that one time he drove a guy insane because his tooth fillings were tuned in to his radio oh, broadcast. Yeah, that does ring a bell. And then also uh, when Anderson and Corey went clubbing yeah, he was in like that the story, DJ. Helios. Yeah, yeah, he was like a club. He was working as a club DJ, <laughs> moonlighting, I guess. And now he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone face first into uh, uh, the the grinding maw of a of a trash. Grinder. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because, like, you know, it's clear that like his head and shoulders and stuff have been um, gr- ground off, but because of that, like his arms like didn't go in, so they're sort of lying beside the rest of his body and stuff like oh, that. Real it's, gross. Um, some chilling details is what I'm trying well, to say, uh, um. and some really <laughs> graphic details. Yeah. Well, that you know, that, uh, and that's real the blessing and curse of uh, Fabry's art style here, which is of course really great. <laughs> Dread calls in a side judge Palmer who communes with the cool Johnny Bucket and then makes a terrified face. Oh. The hate. I, I love how they're like Dread is like, eh, I think the lobes like around the frontal lobes around here and here's some other bits that you can touch. Yeah, you know, you can figure it out. You can they they've worked with less, I'm sure. Like, oh, you know, God. that's you never know what's what's up with this with the side judges, I guess. See, the fact that you have to um, call it a human remains bucket, I guess that means they've got a few on hand. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they they got the branding. So we jump back to the final days of CJC's life, hosting a radio show and being real mean to his callers and just sort of a jerk generally. But then he goes to the old WC and the toilet collapses on top of him. Oh, no. And bonks him in the noggin, I guess. Or he had like the yeah. most epic poop. I suppose. Well, yeah, I think it does. Because, like, in England, or I don't know if this is actually true in England, but, like, you know, they used to have these toilets that had, like, where the tank was, like, above you, I guess. Or, like, like it's high, you know, it's where where they hide the gun in the movie The Godfather and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the modern design of commodes in the U.S. these days, I think. No, although but, um, although I do have a, a very long cord that I can pull for the light right next to my toilet. Ooh, exciting. But so, the uh, boy, where am I? Oh, gosh. Okay. So, after that, he gets back. Later, a caller calls in and tells Johnny to jump out a window. And he just gets right up and goes to do so. And the staff, like, kind of pull him back at the last minute. Back on the air, another caller uh, says, uh, cool, Johnny Cool's is super annoying. And reads in the riot act, tells him to kill himself. Jesus. Which leads to Johnny spending the next day or so doing so. Drowning himself in the toilet, mixing up chemicals and stuff. It's real, like, not cool stuff here for the record. Yep. Um, 
And in the end, his boss t- uh, sends him home until he feels better. I, but once he arrives... He's okay. watching, like, Tom and Jerry, but Jerry's got, like, the most evil face and also holding a bomb. It's very, like, Mega City 1 version of, you know, reimagining of Tom and Jerry here, I guess. But even then, he just starts hearing voices telling him, like, how much they hate him and, like, that he's no good to just kill himself and stuff. And so eventually he just dives headfirst into the garbage grinder. What the heck is even happening here? Yeah, Palmer, back in the present, Palmer says that Cool Johnny Cool must have been a latent sigh and absorbed all the hate that the entire megacity had for him, <laughs> maybe triggered by that toilet falling on his head. He sort of got um, Psychic Powers Gilligan's Island style, basically. Oh, my God. Uh, Palmer can't understand, though, how anybody could have hated Cool Johnny Cool just so much until Dredd just turns on the radio and hears a snippet of his show, and oh. then he just agrees, like, he's better off dead! Like the sneer he has, where it's just the frown with the upper lip shooting into the bottom of the nose. <laughs> Fabry does some amazing facial expressions generally, and in this comic Strong especially, for sure. Anyway, um, yeah, so he's like, uh, yeah, cool, Johnny, cool, fine. Yeah, should have killed himself, whatever. Jeez. And, you know, good times. This, this is some of Fabry's final work in the prog, sadly, oh. but he'll be back for a couple more things um, as we go forward. What I like is... Yeah, it's good, but that's that's that usually means when you like it, that means he's on to bigger and better things or whatever. You know? Cheesy. Got to leave the prog pond behind. So Gary Erskine takes over on art his first time in the prog. He won't do much in 2000 AD, but has a pretty solid comics career elsewhere. In the twin blocks of Bennett and Thorne, a uh. body has been found, murdered, wrapped in plastic. It's Laura Palm Tree. Oh, I get it. Doom, do 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 do. Boom, 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 boom. Exactly. Anyway, we're doing Twin Peaks and Judge Dredd. I'm surprised they didn't have, like, the slow pan over donuts kind of thing. <laughs> well, they mentioned it a little bit, but, yeah, they're sort of, you know, they're they're picking and choosing what they're doing here. By now, the second series had ended in the U.S., um, just FYI. Mm. Um, Dredd's met, met by city defense chief Franklin Roosevelt and immediately arrests him for his uh, damn fine coffee. You know, it's sort of the version of, uh, of uh, Sheriff Truman and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, several goons that also look like Twin Peaks characters worry about Dredd sniffing around the blocks as the mop lady tries to give Dredd some information, but he just sends her to the psycho cubes and breaks her mop. Take that, log lady. <laughs> Dredd oh. interrogates Mr. Thorne um, and, you know, of, uh, of like the horns in Twin Peaks, yep. meets his sexy daughter, Tawdry, like Audrey uh, Thorne. Hey, oh. She reveals that Thorne is running guns through the block's damn fine pies. And so Thorne sees this on CCTV, sends his goons to deal with them as Dredd arrests Tawdry for withholding information. A gunfight breaks out and soon the goons are dead and Thorne is arrested for gun running. Jeez. But hey, Fox. I mean, hey. What about Lola Palm Tree? Uh, I mean, that's no big problem. Don't worry. She's still alive. She was an undercover judge all the time. Don't worry, you killed Lola Palm Tree. Worry about yourself. Bow, bow. Bow, bow. Bow, bow. Fair enough. I got, like, it is a real testament to how much, like, Twin Peaks caught the uh, public imagination. Yeah. Because it's not like we we have a ton of TV show parodies. No. In the course of Judge Dredd, you know? No. Like, this is an unusual thing, for sure. Well, Twin Peaks just came along, and it was it was so strange. 
yet making fun of uh, like television at its time while also having an in-universe teledrama you know yeah that was uh, like it it there there are things that david lynch does and then there are things that david lynch doesn't do um so you know yeah totally that's my opinion i think <laughs> yeah definitely yeah if you uh if you want to see something deeply disturbing you've got to check out the uh the sesame street um take off of uh twin peaks which what? Is twin beat twin beaks oh my god no that's not a real thing yeah, it is, and it features a bunch of purpose-built Muppets for the uh, for the show that look like very show characters, but also have their are they're all bird Muppets that have two beaks on their faces, oh. which will freak you out. For the record, okay, we'll <laughs> yeah, watch. Moving on, so Simon Colby's on art now with coloring by Gina Hart. It's Colby's first dread work. At the school in the Esther Ranson block, who is a UK journalist and TV presenter known for founding the counseling service Childline, the seven-year-old, the seven-year-olds of class 08-C have a new teacher, but not a substitute or a student teacher. It's Judge Dredd! Oh, and you know he wouldn't be there unless it was mandatory and also in order to just make children cry, I guess. Yeah. It seems every Juve in Mega City 1 has to get a day of instruction from a judge about obeying the law, and these kids got him. I've seen a later version of this, Fox, where someone comes in and like, like the kids ask him questions, mm. and it's always stuck with me because one of the kids asks Dredd if he's ever killed anybody, and he says, like, yeah, millions, oh. <laughs> if you count the Apocalypse War, you know? <laughs> Oof. Uh, oof. Um. Yeah, so he gives a lecture. He does discuss some history that we've only heard a little bit about, like how the last president, Robert Booth, started the apocalypse, started the atomic wars. So yeah. people asked the judges to take power and stuff like that. Before that, they were just sort of an elite police force. It, it is definitely the whole thing serves as like kind of a TLDR for the most part until we get to some of the more funny stuff that, that comes yeah, in yeah, after. Yeah, just sort of a – a little page of sort of updates about what's going on in the city and stuff like that. We learned the population is currently 350 million people. And then some kid pees his pants. Come on, kid. Get out of here. Time to – I love how he he, um, he messages in a, a nanny bot basically to go and, and yeah. change the kid's Take pants. Take him away. Uh, Dredd shows off his weapons and intimidates the kids. Then just starts listing a bunch of crimes and punishments. Oh, and we kind of flash forward to the last one, which seems to involve compulsory amputation. Jesus. Class is almost over when a kid's dad bursts in and says he's taken that kid right now to avoid a lawful custody order. <laughs> and like the kid's like, uh, Judge Dredd's right behind you, dad, as you admit to crimes. Um, yeah. The dad is arrested and made to stand in the corner. While a kid's attempt to give Dredd an apple for teacher leads to him sort of getting information for a possible uh, illegal grocer operation. My God. He just never stops. It's so beautiful. Contraband apple. <clears throat> yeah. So, good day classes and Dredd's back on patrol. Fun stuff. I like when Dredd interacts with kids, honestly, oh, yeah. just because <laughs> it is when really he funny. he tortures children. I mean, the, yeah, the funny just, part is just like – Here's here's this nice thing, Judge Dredd, and he still finds a way to turn it into a crime. I yeah, the, definitely. Because the way that it ends, he's like like calling it into uh, to Central, and they're like, "Yeah, man, just like finish up with that real quick, because we're pretty thin on the street. These things waste time." And he's like, "I don't know, didn't waste so much time here." <laughs> hey, he found some crimes and yeah. stuff. It's good. It's it's good, you know. 
So Simon Colby stays on art as several East Meg 2 officials arrive in Mega City 1. Oh, that's right. Peace and gift the city with a clockwork pineapple. I mean, also known as a Fabergé Ugg. I should mention that the leader of the Soviet group, Supreme Judge Joseph Tractor Factory, has a has a Gorbachev like uh, red mark, red bird. Oh, mark that's on his right. Yeah, I forgot about the wine stain. Yeah, the sobs roll in. Their word bubbles are in English, but it's written with like Cyrillic letters and stuff, yeah. so it backwards ends and R's, and which I think it's kind of a fun way to kind of have them be speaking a foreign language I, or something. I, like, it's really just uh, um, a Tom Frame eat your heart out kind of thing, right? Like, he's doing yeah, he's, a real good job here. Yeah, although, actually, I think I might have missed the... Um, it, it's funny you say Tom Frame hit, eat your heart out, because actually I got the credits wrong um, when I was going in, or, or, or incomplete, I should say, because this story is actually lettered by Steve Potter, a what? rare... Um, non-Tom Frame lettering Steve, for this story. you nailed it, bud. Stepping on toes, but also doing this fun Soviet lettering. So, you know, it's looking whatever, great. buddy. I loved it. I love to read that stuff. That's fun. So Magruder mm. and Hershey are waiting to greet these Sovs while Dred's uh, uh, running a little late dealing with anti-Sovsit terrorists. As the delegation arrives, though, we, we, we meet the other Sov judges, um... Dimborti riboflavin, aka vitamin B2, <laughs> and Marky Briel cream. Oh, the, um, Briel hair gel cream. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The gals will, will, will pursue you and a little dab will do you. Oh. Uh, oh. Tractor Factory presents the pineapple, which is kind of an oval covered in gems. And it can play any song when you open it up, which is nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. They go to enter the Grand Hall as the Sovs perv on Hershey until at least the judges all reveal they can speak Sov as well and after effect of the Apocalypse War and stuff like that. So whatever. Uh, things are going okay. The pineapple gets stored in the Anthony Burgess block, who's of course the author of A Clockwork Orange. Um, but that night it's stolen by international jewel thief Pierre Franglais. <laughs> but okay. as he does, he in turn accidentally steps on some loose brickwork and falls to his death. Oh, oh no! God, and you only see like the top half of his head. Like it's real weird and gross. Yeah, he lands teeth first. It's terrible. Ah. Um, and he also lands near a bunch of no good punks who search his body and find that dang pineapple. It's an international incident. Ooh. Magruder's able to keep it under wraps though, and Dread takes personal responsibility for finding it and. As these punks elsewhere prepare a scheme for this uh, pineapple thing. Oh, come on, guys. Don't, don't scheme. Yeah, you're, don't, just give it back. You're in trouble. <laughs> um, next time on Dread, on the trail of the lonesome pineapple. Is this a, a, a reference I should know? I don't think so. Okay. It reminds me of like, a, it reminds me of like Lonesome Dove or something like that. Mm. Like this old Western... I think it's more just kind of random stuff. I don't think it's an actual. I, I don't know if it's a, if it's a full reference here. Good guy. Yeah, pretty good. Good dread. Yeah, fine. I'm 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 interested in this story for yes. sure. Just sort of of dealing with hijinks about mega citizens and sobs and stuff. That's sort of fun. And speaking of making new friends in strange places, Fox. Oh man, I love making friends with tentacle plants. Yeah, thrill to rogue trooper. Consume, consume, indeed. Mm, script robot Michael Fleischer, art robot Simon Colby and Gina Hart, lettering robot Alita Fell, 
So Friday, last time we met him, he was caught inside an airlock at Evil Base 2, which is bad times. He can't shoot his way out. Luckily, he's got some shaped charges in his bag, so yeah. he blows his way out. All right. In, in a in a, a hole, ver- like a uh, him-sized hole, as it were. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Um, he's initially surrounded by bad guys, but then he shoots the ceiling down on them and runs into the evil base. He's just blown basketball-sized holes in, in everybody as he does. <laughs> Eventually, he makes it to a lab area where he's confronted by this Dr. Claw alien-type boss oh, guy. Oh, that's right. These, and Basically, didn't they, like, show an exploded head for a reason? Something. But basically, he says that his play, he's from a different place, from a planet with a different kind of atmosphere, and he's going to cover all the other planets around in plants that'll create the atmosphere that his special gills let you breathe in so that they can monopolize, like, you know, they, you basically have to pay them. They have a monopoly on the gills. So you have to pay them to uh, be able to breathe and stuff. I love it when a story tells the reader something they already knew, but has to re-explain it because we knew it, but everyone else didn't know it, you know? You, you got to make sure, you know, some people are dumb, sadly. Or I guess, yeah, um, maybe they didn't get the last comment. But, but um, you know, whatever. Um, oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess the exploded head is sort of the failures in the attempts to oh, make the gills right, or whatever. right, 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 right. Friday threatens the evil boss with this comically oversized gun that he's still shooting one-handed, <laughs> despite the fact that it's bigger than he is. Jeez. But the evil boss says no, and his because his goons are holding Friday's friend Shades hostage. Well, I mean, his gun's about to say yes, or I guess like, mm. I guess like, uh, what is it? Not even plot. It's like convenience activates. No, he's yeah, he's gonna he's gonna magic his way through this yeah. one. Because it seems like as we've been talking, Friday has used his helmet computer to hack the evil base's computer yeah. to send the plants to attack the base itself. There was no point where we saw him like setting this up at all. It's just happening um, automatically, I guess. Neither are the plants we grow out of this quickly. Plot. Yeah, the plants grow quickly. The fumes kill all the baddies as Friday tosses shades a breathing device. But isn't it but like, like genetic? The- like it, it doesn't really care if you breathe it in or not, right? And well, also, I think he still the has air his is. Nose. I think the air is poison, so like you gotta have like a device to get pure oxygen or something like that. Right. I don't know. They still gotta get this off this uh, Doctor Claw guy. No good alien. So they run to catch him in his escape vehicle. Friday's forced to ditch that giant gun he got at the start of the story to do so. Shade uses his oxygen tank as a bomb, then steals a breath mask from a fallen foe as the lads arrive at the spaceport, just as the alien prepares to leave, <laughs> lamenting what this fa- failure will look like on his CV. Until he's straight up yoinked out of his spacecraft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they Yoink. toss him out and steal his ship, taken off as Dr. Claw tries to stop them, but instead gets gutted by a murder vine. Yay, murder vines. Yeah, good times. Do help clean it up where we don't want to. Uh, Friday and Shades escape. They rally with the other locals. Friday assumes that these tech bros won't be back because no good spend no good spending good money after bad. But there is a cancer on this planet, and Friday is gonna cut it out. Oh man, I really hope he does. If you catch my meaning, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, the end of the of the Saharan Ice Belt War. Friday will return in the story Apocalypse Dreadnought in the spring of 1992. Okay, okay. 
Michael Fleischer will return next episode with some more Harlem Heroes. All what? Right. Why? It's over. No, no, we got to do a solo story just with that guy Slash, man. That's what we're what? doing. The, wait, isn't or that... Slice? Isn't that the one who was kind of a bigot or like a... Yeah, he was a jerk for sure. Definitely not cool with women and stuff. So that's the so one we got we more of that to look forward with. to. Absolutely. All right. Speaking of guys we want to hang out with, Fox. Drill <laughs> 3, Bix Barton. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I mean, he, he does... This whole story is very Bixie, which is which is very I, nice. I just don't know enough about cricket or uh, or rugby. I feel like he'd see me, he'd see me as a lesser being. You know, I, I mean, he sees a lot of like higher order beings as lesser beings. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm I, I'm sure he's got all kinds of stuff about Americans for the record. Oh like, God, can't wait for that. <laughs> Skipped about yeah, scripter about Peter Milligan, art about Jim McCarthy, letter about Annie Parkhouse, Bix Barton is in heaven. Let to get the god of love to chill out. Come on, as um, so that the lovesick earth doesn't destroy itself. But now a bunch of saints have taken his eau de dieu, which is the only thing that can get him back to earth. Luckily, Bix's mission focused and keen to help some of his lesser god friends also get to earth so they can score with earth babes. Hey, why not? I guess now, that feels a little all right, it's fine. Bix heads to the realm of love where he finds the god of the god thereof picking petals of endless flowers doing variations on she loves me not, she loves me, she only wants to be friends, she thinks I'm dead sexy, etc. Uh, I mean, this really feels like it's uh, it's a loaded flower. Mm. Bix offers to help and uh, then heads to a different part of heaven to the pow- tower of the wood god where the fair Diana is trapped oh, Rapunzel god, style. Right. She lets Bix climb. I really love the way that she talks. By the way, <laughs> Bix climbs her lower her lowered hair and arrives to find a very pregnant lady. Though that seems to have been a ruse. She's got a pillow in her dress to get share the cherub to steal some eau de dieu so that she and the god of love could run off together. But don't worry about that. The wood god is back and he's pissed. He just punches a hole through the thing. He's like, you're totally selling my daughter who I thought was pregnant, who's not pregnant. Uh, You've sullied her flower. That's gross. It's a real weird deal the gods have up in there. The gods must be crazy. (laughs) Absolutely. Look at this bottle. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Bix is going to get killed. But before he is killed, he does have a few last requests. Maybe short walk around the tower with Diana. And hey, can I borrow your bottle of eau de dieu as well? This feels like a whole nyuck nyuck, like just fooling the stupid thing bit. Well, yeah, mostly because it's a callback to these previous lesser gods we met. Ah, yeah, that's right. Because the god of gullibility has showed up to just sort of let the wood god um, fall for these various obvious lies. All looks well until the saints show up again to take the god water. But uh, heaven, but but Bix says heaven's like Scotland, a nice place to visit. You wouldn't want to live there. Wow. And then the saints are put upon by the curses of these various minor gods. They're getting toothaches. They're putting their faces up against hot radiators. Uh-huh. And then there's a third one, and Bix just kind of punches that guy in the face, and they're off. I, I Like, have you ever had a bloody nose before? And they're like, no. And then he just punched him in the face. And I'm like, this this doesn't feel like it will bode well for you in, like, the future time. Uh, you know, you can't think about – you can't think that far ahead, you know. That's fair. He's probably played a few too many um, rum rugby matches. Absolutely. 
Yeah, he's a big fan of the Ruggers, so lots of bloody noses in the course of that old bean. Hey, sure, why not? Yeah, whatever. Um, the lesser gods are a bit... Con- so, um, Diana and the God of Love are reunited, and the lesser gods are a bit confused about just what the heck, how this is going to solve anything. But Bix is like, nah, it's fine. I'm, it's under control. And so he sniffs the eau de dieu and returns to Earth. Toodle pip. We then cut to the epilogue where uh, oh, yeah. all seems well. Bix and Michael Caine have been reunited. Let's not talk about what happened while I was beside with that government guy earlier in the story. Thank <laughs> you very much. Had, like, the, the paper just – or the, the newspaper just just goes up in front of his face effectively. You know, like, no, like, we're not please. talking about this. Yes, such things are better not discussed. You can only imagine it's gross. But anyway, um, Bix knew that the god of love was mostly just pining for a relationship he couldn't have. But once he actually got Diana, they'd quickly fall out of love and into relationship, which is much worse. So Jesus. an extremely cynical end to Bix Barton. <laughs> and then something about Spanish tapas. Yeah, well, that's, you know, now let's, let's go get something to eat. I know a tapas place. Good times. Hey, I'm and always Bix, tapas. Bix, yeah, the end. Big Spartan will return in December of this year. Sweet. I do like me. I like me a uh, a silly boy. Yeah, yeah. Just fun, silly, supernatural things going on here. Good times. I I did like that this story didn't end up being about uh, that Steve Ditto guy. Yeah, not that I have for any, once, right? Not that I. Yeah, not that I have anything against Steve Ditto. I just think it's nice when it's not just. You having a nemesis and engaging with that nemesis every time, I guess. Exactly. You want you want some variety, and then when the nemesis shows up, it's it's uh, it's a big deal. I mean, as big of a deal as you can get in. Yeah. It, well, it, yeah, it makes the reveal that it is the nemesis mean more exactly. when that's not the only person that they ever fight. You know, if it's always Doctor Doom, then Doctor Doom gets somewhat passe. Exactly, like Doctor Claw himself. Ooh. Oh yeah. But hey, on the topic of um, eternal evils, Fox. Oh, yes, 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 yes. On the topic of just fuck you up body horror, Fox. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. Please, can we? Please, can we, Conrad? Can we, please? Let's talk about Thrill 4 Indigo Prime. I will allow it. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy, Conrad. I, as I, look, I'm even sidling in. I'm sidling it on this microphone right now. It's fun, buddy. Skipped Robot John Smith, Art Robot Chris Weston, Letting Robots Tom Frame, and Mary Green. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, Fox, we're in a time train. Sure. And things are getting real weird in a deeply biological Listen, way outside. I'm going to be honest with you right now. If things don't get biologically weird in a time train, I don't think that that's a very good time train. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm tired of these stayed, like, just weird star things and clocks flying around. I want some guts in there, buddy. Yeah, exactly. You want some eldritch horrors. You want some, uh, some uh, like, uh, eternally locked in, in metaphysical amber entities, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So inside the train, Dr. Culver, better known to history as Jack the Ripper, is preparing to murder Miss Char- Charlotte uh, Boyd, chanting an incantation to the extra-dimensional creature known as the Iscariot, as he does. And he's getting, he's starting to sound like that there Iscariot. Yeah, his word bubbles to change these wavy red letters as he begins his gory work. Elsewhere, one of the servants has been attacked by a creature from outside the oh, train and the lies on monster. a billiards table. 
Yeah, and it seems the goop monster is sucking the time out of her. So, As which, it goes, she's getting younger and younger. Which seems like a like a plus, right? If you get it off soon enough. Yeah, I mean, it's really the, like she seems pretty catatonic <laughs> once the once the monster attacked her and stuff like yeah. that. So there's going to need to be some refinements before you start selling this as a beauty aid on the streets of London is what I'm trying uh, to say. That's fair. Fucking time trains. <laughs> Our friend Winwood arrives on the scene as Miss Seward warns about some kind of coming evil and her father chastises her. We've had this father-daughter stuff running this entire time. I mean, they, the they both the tr- kind of yeah. ignore her at the time, which I like because yeah. then we get into the thick of things. Yeah, Winwood's being very blasé about sort of the coming horror that we're about – that we'll be dealing with by the end of this, of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um. In the caboose of the train, that Neanderthal guy we saw killed and then reanimated last episode by the time stream, seemingly, looms over Ishmael Cord, seemingly about to kill him. But until- nah, bro. He's, he's yeah. going to thread the shit out of you. Yeah, he pulls this time needle thing out of his top hat. We've seen these characters use these before to sort of stitch up sections of time and space and stuff like that. And so he basically just sort of stitches this monster out of existence. I'm closing this timeline. Yeah, he says. get the fuck out. I love it as a superpower. Definitely. So, you know, luckily when things come down to it, Indigo Prime can God mode their way through, through things a little bit. <laughs> That's all right. I Because he hasn't done it like at like all a ton. He's just like, nah, right now is the time we need yeah. to use this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just something to keep in mind is what I'm trying to say. Meanwhile, Winwood talks to Professor Seward and convinces him to stop the train as reality is really starting to set in that things are pretty fucked up out here in the time stream. Seems pretty like a, like a legitimate uh, suggestion. Yeah. That doesn't come out of nowhere. At the same time, Mary Seward enters Charlotte's room to find the Ripper murder complete. There's red on the train. There's red on the train. And a naked blood-stained culver grabs her grabs her hair and paws her face. How shall we pass the time? I mean, there's like a lot of guts, too. Like her own guts are like wrapped around her hands and stuff. It's real bad. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like a lot of the the, mur- the the Reaper murders where there's just a lot of, um yeah, just guts and weird Vistera. stuff have, d- done with the body and stuff like that. You know, yeah, a little exactly. bit more finger painting than you'd like, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we start the next <laughs> Sorry. We start the, the next section of this story with another cast page. Yeah. Several of them, like sort of updating where people are. Several of them have uh, Latin descriptions as well. Like, um, uh, Winwood has, um, nil vitam regim, regit uh, fortuna non sapient, non sapientia, which means fortune, not wisdom, rules lives. Mm. And, uh, Cord says, uh, ni- uh, nil carborundum, which is a shortening of, uh, nil carboratum illegib, illeg, nah. Illegimity, I believe, which means don't let the bastards gri- grind you down. God damn. Also, uh, Mary's Mary kicking Montague in the nuts. Yeah, and it just says um, uh, uh, in flagrante delecto or whatever, which is, which is fair. <laughs> um, things are getting extremely strange both inside and outside the train as Mary Seward comes uh, bursting into the lounge, uh, pursued by a ranting culver. He damns her and threatens to paint the world red with their blood. Until. Until, in, 
Yeah, in the shadows, Cord arrives. We see the nuclear symbols on his shoulders uh, flaring. Hell and yeah. binds Culver into some kind of frozen state. He's sort of in a sculpture form. Yeah, he's or like, something. and he's holding him by. He's he's almost like a human lollipop. Yeah, things are getting real weird. So it's time for Culver to explain some things. Um, talks a little bit about Indigo Prime maintaining the threads of reality, and that there's a huge flaw in the works of reality right now. A thing called the Iscariot. A psychoplasmic life form that turns worlds inside out. The war against it lasted for centuries until it was captured and imprisoned in an area of no space, of of no space, no time, a Schrodinger's cage called a Corazon. It's been stuck there, couldn't break out, and no one could break in until Dr. Culver somehow found a way to communicate with it and then did his – uh, Ripper murders as evil rituals to summon it, and they sort of talk about how if you the way the Reaper murder the the Ripper murders I should say are w- where they took place, you can kind of draw a pentagram. Um, sure, if, connecting the sites and stuff like that, which seems facile to me, Fox, because even you know, if you just do five things in a in a circle, that's just or in in an area, then then you can draw a, a pentagram. It's like how how. Um, there's a pentagram of uh, like outback steakhouses around most uh, major me- <laughs> metropolitan areas. Well, well, and they also, I mean, technically speaking, so they they did it as a five pointed star, but mm-hmm. not as um, uh, whatever, like two, um, ugh, not two. It, it, they didn't actually do the points correctly. If that makes sense, like it's it, well, it's not like a it's it's not it's not a perfect star. Like they're yeah. sort of like like the the line segments are irregular in size. Yeah, for exactly. Instance. Um, but anyway, um, the he he did this part of the ritual, but you know, in in like the late eight in the late nineteenth century, it's just too far away from where the Corazon is situated. He had to get closer, so he used some fell knowledge he gained to commission Seward's time train to allow him to do so. Always, always a, an interesting course uh, for electives, fell knowledge. Fell is my favorite um, adjective, um, Fox, just so you know. Uh, it's real it, good. I got it. I learned it from Warhammer, where there's an evil uh, sword that that the skate that the rat men, the Skaven bear, that's called the fell blade. Oh, I really like that. Awesome. It kills you as you use it. It's pretty oh, solid. Oh, that's great. But it's also like this – whatever. It's the strongest weapon in the game. It gives you like strike 10. So you could like walk up to like a castle wall and just smack it once with the fell blade Jesus and cut it open. It's Christ. pretty, pretty awesome. All right. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, we're talking Warhammer. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, he commissions – yeah, went there. And now the death of Charlotte Boyd, he's ripped a hole in the Corazon and Windward and Cord are going to enter it and finally destroy the Iscariot. They hope at least. Culver isn't confident about their chances, of course, but, you know, he wouldn't be. No. Um, meanwhile, in the engine of the train, Dr. Seward looks out and sees a man on the tracks. He pulls the emergency brake and the scre- train comes to a screeching halt. Things go flying as we see, like, the figure there is just sort of this, like, ectoplasmic um, projection or whatever. Anyway, things don't look good here. It seems like as it, as an emergency stop, the train has derailed and crashed into a strange landscape. Oh, man. Into a real gross landscape. I'm so stoked yeah. about this. Cord helps the survivor exit the train as the damage, both physical 
and and uh, Psychic is counted up. It seems Winwood will have to do more explaining, so he has Cord go and scout around. Winwood does seem pretty jolly about all this. It says, like, hey, like, listen, like, if you aren't too busy, also you could probably finish off doc- Dr. Covert if you want. Yeah. He went that away by the trail of blood that he's leaving. Like, you kind of um, wanted to do it anyway. It's definitely feeling a little bit more sinister at this point. Yeah. He, um, indeed, we see Culver, his hair a mess, covered in blood. It seems like he's missing his left leg and above the knee is crawling deeper into this landscape. His internal monologue in, um, implies he's been, um, mutilating himself, including like, like castrating himself and stuff. And God. now he wants his reward the kiss of the Iscariot. All right. But in his way is Ishmael Cord, buddy. He, Punches Culver, beats him down while Chris Weston's art artfully covers his junk here, which is pretty solid. It's pretty um, rad. Culver says there's no use killing him. He doesn't care. He's already won. But All right. Corn just Yeah, listen. Hey, if you don't care if you die, then let's do it as crazily as possible as Cord sees a harp nearby and gets an idea. In a move likely to make friend of the show Dave Wynn shudder, because he's a harpist, Corn <laughs> drags Culver to the to the harp and starts to push him through the wires uh, face first, so, slicing. Uh, so <laughs> awesome and so gross. Presumably slicing him into into pieces like so like so much fine cheese. Fox. Oh my god! Ah, uh, it's such a good look. I was so happy and, about this. It's like, just fuck you, yeah. Jack the Ripper. Get get harped. Yeah. <laughs> and in the Hall of Flesh, the Iscariot tasted blood and smiled. Mm. Winwood is leading a crew of survivors through the landscape. Tensions are high as the clip-lop of hooves, like we heard during the seance earlier in the story, arrives. And we see an insect-like beast with hooves and arms and rows of teeth behind ribcage-like mandibles run past. It's huge eyes staring at Winwood. It's trying to separate the group and figures with nets arrive to start capturing people. Meanwhile, Cord is bursting through the Iscariot's world into a city of domes and stained glass with face-like pillars coming out of the ground in a strange liquidy landscape on the um, covering it. Things are bad aboard the train. Sir Charles is being held aloft by strange intestine-like creatures and wires as a model train goes through a giant hole in his chest. And Lady Goslin is lost and then stamped out by a giant army of animated shoes. And Dr. Seward is met by his dead wife, now with a terrifying skinless jaw and strange misshapen assistance. She prepares to sew his mouth shut. And Winwood is wandering the train uh, from one gallery of pain to another, past the Wailing Wall, the, minis- the, min- the, the Minister of the Lacrimundi. That's the world of tears. Things are getting very surreal in bloody and terrifying ways. Just casual crucifixions lying around, bodies hanging from trees and ceilings. He walks through a door and finds uh, someone, I think Donald Mayberry, one of these other um, passengers, um, t- Wearing a welder's mask made of skin, preparing to torch one of the servants alive as Major Littleton is trampled and ripped to shreds by a horde of rabbits. And Mary Seward is devoured by a horde of disembodied teeth. And at last, Winwood finds the Iscariot, a massive tower of strange images. We see 
eyes and breasts and faces of animals and organs and who knows what else. Strange um, mechanical devices and pipe organs as well. It holds cord by um, by each arm in arms that themselves look like giant scissors and asks if Winwood would like anything before they start. Next time on Indigo Prime, certain historical facts. So fucking awesome. It's so fucking we'll be, awesome. <laughs> it's really cool. And we'll be reaching the end of Indigo Prime next, next episode it's, as well. It is so visceral. Strangely, it has a sense of humor even until the end. Yeah, I mean stuff like the like the oh, army but the of end shoes. then just gets disgusting. Yeah, or the um or or even like the rabbits sort of um attacking the major sure. and stuff like that. Like 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 Night of the Lepus style. These oh are kind of silly silly ways to kill people or something like that. But then just this full page image of um of the Iscariot, which is, is a really. Horror. It is an, an actual horror. It's got all these different like pieces to it, and like your eyes just sort of slide across it, sort of taking in details and you know finding tr- having trouble sort of processing them all. You know, when you can say the words "a frog that is attached to the ears of a baboon sitting on the throne of spiked um, rabbits," yeah, and that's like. You know, one sixteenth of what you can see. Uh, it's a good, it's a good piece of art, and like, my god, is it horrifying? Yeah, it's a very Hieronymus Bosch sort of mm. landscape with all these like different bi- like uh, animals and people or parts of people and stuff like that. But also then adding in, I think what feel like more modern things like pieces of machinery and yeah. there's like a pipe organ in there and stuff like that as well. The weird, like, I, I love that, like, there's just kind of at the top, it's like two arms and a gas mask that's a frog and a chicken shooting out of the side. But one of the arms yeah. is a bird that's got a fish in its mouth. And it's just, it's so, like, it is terrifying. Like, if I saw this, I would just be like, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I really like the uh, the monster sort of at the start of, the, of, this, of this final comic as well. This, like, big... Uh, bug horse kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Like the thing that was coming after him uh, clip-clopping, as it were. Yeah, because it's just like, you don't even get a sense of what that creature is. It just sort of shows up, and you see it kind of looking at Widwood it being like, yes, like, you know, chaos reigns or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, it's trying to split us apart, don't let it separate you, and literally everybody gets separated into their own personal hell. Absolutely, yeah. Great. I love th- This is great stuff. You know, when I first read this i did i wasn't reading it as closely as i as i could have been and so i sort of lost a sense of what was going on mm. and stuff um but this time reading it really closely has really brought me some new appreciation for this story and just looking really closely at this art is oh, it's so mind-blowing oh, i love it so much it's so juicy so tasty you know like yeah they- it's <sighs> definitely got like a like a feel to it just by looking at it i guess I, oh man, great stuff! I loved it, buddy. This you really you you uh, you said a little bit about like that you were happy that I was enjoying it. I have it has not disappointed at all. Nice zero. Yeah, um, I love. I'm very I excited love to hear that for comic. sure. Yeah, this is. A, oh. I I think this is a fun one. It's one I've been looking forward to. So fucking. I'm awesome. glad you're digging it for sure. 
All right. So let's cool down now a little bit, Fox. I feel like we've sort of reached right. some heights. So let's relax with some non-thrills, covers, and nerf centers. Prague 740. You'll get caught up in the crossfire. Crossfire. Fire. You'll get caught <laughs> up in it. Oh, this Friday Simon Colby cover. I hope people listening to this are aware of these eight of these 80s and 90s kids com- commercials that are from America that might have gone to England. Gotta shoot anyway, your pebbles got- at other people, man. Yeah, everybody's got giant guns in this cover. Yep. And the nerve center, Tharg compliments the intelligence of his readers as Igroyd oh. announces the premise of Dead Meat coming soon, hey. which we'll talk about later in the episode. And announces I mean, some new hey. guest novels. Exactly. <laughs> that was... That was in bad taste. The input page has pictures of Bix of Bix Bart man. Bart no. Sims with a goatee. <laughs> and Friday shooting us. Firepower! Let us have a breakdown of the cast of a uh, carry-on in the re- in the recent Bix Barton story and requests for more Bradley. He'll be back in about a year. Uh, why though? You don't have to ask for that if you the uh-huh. readers is part of their motherly instincts or something. It's a lady writer. I don't know. Prox 741, a new Dr. Culver with a bloody knife menaces us in this Chris Weston cover. Uh, he's oogie and he's boogie. Yeah, he's got bloodshot eyes, slightly too many teeth, I think. Yes. <laughs> in the nerve center, Tharg teases some upcoming promotional stuff as Igroid handles the plugs about the current stuff. The input page has... A pretty solid picture of Judge Burt from Sesame Street and mm. letters complimenting a whole bunch of thrills, questioning like sort of how that robot cop worked in Robo Hunter and aren't quite clear on both the uh, Johnny Alpha timeline and what's going on with the new Rogue Trooper. It would be nice to know both of those things. Well, I think they're asking, like, didn't Johnny die, like, way back when? Like, no, like, that was just a temporary thing. Like, don't be a jerk. Um, and then they just don't know what's – they're like, why doesn't this rogue trooper have biochips? What's going on? It's like, a different dude, man. Like, keep up. It's a completely different guy. He just happens to look nearly the same. Yeah, well, he's blue, you know. I guess no, but Diaba died. Go to hell, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Frog 742, school bully. Dreads bringing the law to some no-good kids in Simon Colby cover. In the nerve center, Thar continues to tease free gifts as well as the return of ABC Warriors, which we'll be getting in Prog 750. Meanwhile, Igroid is stoked for as the creative droids are gearing up for the UK Comics Art Convention. UKAC! Mid-Prog, there's a mix column, and it seems Rockzilla has been in New York for various reasons. She's watching The Party Machine and Live Exorcism on TV, which was on the 2020 News Magazine, uh, making observations about American perfume and Chia Pets, and even hyper-color t-shirts, which are supposed to be club wear, I guess, while slinging rumors. Yeah, while slinging rumors about Easy E and Whitney Houston. Damn. The input page has pictures of a very Simon Jacob-looking Master Keltaf, uh, which I'm not sure what that's from. Okay. And uh, Judge Wendy Miller, which was a character from the kids' show Camberwick Green. Oh, Fair enough. okay. Sure. Letters continue the Emerald Isle discussion, complement the 91 sci-fi special, and wonder about a Rogue Trooper yearbook, which isn't happening, <laughs> and are stoked about all the blood and violence in recent episodes. Fuck yeah, and the, bud. 
Yeah, and the prog ends with the star scan for dead meat. In a bloody vegetarian future, Ugh. meat is murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Prog 743, welcome to the animal kingdom, baby. Ramming through the die. cover. Yeah, Simon Jacob draws an angry Inspector Ram. Um, just, you know, head button his way into the cover. Very sort of mean machine cover here. here. In the Nerf Center, Thug plugs several more thrills starting in Prog 750. We're, we're going to be starting a clean slate. So that's going to be a long episode because it's going to happen midway through it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Igroid calls out a bunch of appearances of 2000 AD and Judge Dredd on like TV shows and even a uh, rap song. Rad. Actually, let me get this get get this lyric here because I thought it was pretty bad. Actually, oh, also funny. <laughs> okay, yeah. The guy says, uh, "For in the end, I'll wipe over you just like polish. It's not only to shine but demolish, just like Judge Dredd from 2000 AD. But death is the only sentence that you're getting from me." Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's fine. I give that like a four out of ten spirits. Yeah, go ahead. Um, meanwhile, uh, blah, 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 yep. And then he mentions uh, Milligan and Hewitt will be and Hewlett will be signing a hooligan's haircut trade at Forbidden Planet. Yeah, the input. Yeah, the input page is a picture of Judge Stogie and Tharg the Sheep. Letters demand more thrill power. Tharg's only too happy to plug in response to various comics that are out at the time. We learned the average age of readers is 17, and our reader, right. another reader suggests Tharg's get a haircut, maybe something like George Michael has, I guess. Okay. Uh, that's fine. Mm. There are complaints of uh, uh, about uh, Simon Colby's art, and then questions about similarities between Killing Time and the Doctor Who story, The Talons of Wen Chang. Okay. And while both have a Victorian setting, that's pretty much it in terms of similarities. If you ask me, um, the prog ends with a star scan of the upcoming thrill Revere, which is written by John Smith, who's right now writing Indigo Prime and stuff like that. But honestly, he's mostly there to provide some settings for Simon Harrison to do some crazy ass art. And that's really what is the is the selling point of Revere. And we'll talk more about it next episode. I'm pretty excited about it. But anyway, um, let's continue on with just some uh I guess speaking of parent-child relationships, oh, which is a big part right of Revere, let's talk about Thrill Five Dow Demoto. Oh man, things are really closing in with somebody having an identification badge that I guess even on the outskirts of the outskirts that you gotta deal with it. Ugh, yeah, this whole script thing. robot Myra Hancock, art robot Dave Oy, learning robot Annie Parkhouse. So we're on this space station, and a kid, possibly with a genius IQ, has just got on board. But the real news is that that dude, Sopalco, just arrived as well with, like you said, an ID card that lets him take the fanciest room on the station, which is Lulu's, and just sort of boss people around generally. Such a D move. Yeah. There's no doubt in 741 and 742, Lulu takes Sopalco to, uh, yeah, Sopalco to a bar, orders the fanciest booze on his government tab, and then tries to talk to him when she gets an urgent message. It's Dow, she's disappeared. God, gee dang it. Yeah, by the time Sopalco is leaving the table, he says he has work to do. Send Miss Moto to my room, and all departures for this station have been canceled. Oh, look at me. I can do whatever I want with my special fancy ID card. 
That's right. Lulu storms off to find Dao as Inga hears that Dao's luggage has been found and realizes what's up because she doesn't actually have any luggage. Wait, luggage? Um, she didn't have any. Oh, no. Yeah. I've got to get to the loading bay before Lula. Yeah, down in the cargo bay, they find that inflatable ball safety device thing we talked about earlier. Pop it open to reveal Dao inside. Lulu wants to know the truth about Sopalco. Why is he here? Why is Dao afraid of him? Yeah. And we'll talk about that next time on Dao Nice. Anyway. I get yeah. So anyway, fine stuff. I guess I you like know. It. I don't know. I, I like these characters. I like uh, it's really hard. Just like the two pages of blessing and a curse because you get it and get out, but it's just really hard to move things along. Yeah, it exactly. Feels like half a story based going on, I, I, which I guess makes sense. Yeah, no, I I like that they don't waste too much time reminding you of the setup for a page, then give you like a page of like here's what's next. That's enjoyable, mm-hmm. but it does definitely like it's not really a cliffhanger most of the time. It's more of just like a all right, <clears throat> next. Yeah, it's it's more just like like the next sentence in a conversation than a real cliffhanger. Yeah, or something. exactly. It's it's funny because like classic British comics were often two to three pages long, mm-hmm. but what's interesting with Daudamoto is that they also have have two thousand AD sized like panels and stuff like that. Yeah. So, like they could have smaller panels and tell more of the story if they wanted to, but they're clearly making choices for you know. Yeah, of course. What's going on here? So good times. And speaking of making strange artistic choices, Fox. Oh, here we go. Or friends not trusting each other. Ooh. It's thrill six below zero. Yeah, things are about to get a little icy around here. <laughs> Skift robot John Brosnan, art robot Kev Hopgood, letting robot Annie Parkhouse, and Glib. Tanner, our cyborg buddy. He's in the virtual reality device Gabriel, and it seems he always has been. <laughs> the person we've been calling Helena says he's been stashed in the deepest catacombs of the underground facility of like this uh, virtual reality place, and he'll never see the wor- real world again. Again, and even when he tries to use, he, he, <laughs> I was about to say something so much worse. Even when he tries to, to shoot her with this finger gun, to zap with a little flag, you know? Yeah, the flag. Yeah, yeah. Her finger gun shoots a zap flag instead. Sorry, I got the hiccups. Uh, sick of all this, Tanner leaves the room and walks straight into an Australian soap opera. Oh, oh no! God, I mean, at the very least, it's not like a bunch of, it's not McLeod's daughters. I watched enough I of that. Woo! Before things get too Australian, though, the door is kicked open, and it's Tanner's old Sergeant Dolly here to mess with him. He can't hurt her. Like, he just his punches, bounces off, but she punches his block off. Oof. Tanner then falls through reality Whoa. and finds himself back in the past. He's got his I've arm. Got an arm he's got still. hair. His wife Sally's still alive. Oh, yeah. He knows it's a dream, though. A dream of the time before the war between the gene corporations and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. When he was a spaceball cop. Yeah, that's that's junk. I, I oh. want to view Sully. I want to view <laughs> Sully below zero with a junker <laughs> reference, buddy. That's ridiculous. Get out of here. Sorry. Why would you do that? Why, why, why? We were having a we were having a good time, Fox, until you ruined it with your fucking junker listen, references. I don't want listen, to think about that ever again. I'm having I'm having my pre Christmas prosecco, and you you can allow me at least one junker Fine. reference. So 
<laughs> Young Tanner's doubting this new reality, and he's wise too because his wife suddenly turns into a desiccated zombie wife. I mean, just free kind kisses. of movie stuff here. Yeah, come on. He strikes her, and she dissolves into a puddle, cursing him. And then Helena shows up again and says that this is what he gets for what he did to her family, but he what? doesn't know what he did. Come on. Stop turning me into a transparent ghost. Yeah. So she shows him, and suddenly Tanner's back in the Gene Wars, you know, walking around with Lieutenant Gray as company commander and Sergeant Dolly and some other soldier dudes. Suddenly, the squad is attacked by Hazini, these genetically engineered killing machines that are big insect men with wings and stuff. Their guns do nothing, only the finger zappers work. But Tanner, like a coward, runs for cover in, um, instead of fighting as one of the beasts kills Lieutenant Gray, Ooh. who was the wife of CEO Lazarus Gray and Helena's mother. Whoa, oh, you, you killed my mom and that was revenge time. A man, Tanner, such a checkered past. Seriously, momentarily shocked, Tanner comes back with the facts. Because, like, this is basically how Lieutenant Gray died, but it was Dolly that panicked during the Hazini attack as Tanner zapped his way to Gray and then held her in his arms as she died. Yeah, and guess what? Since it's my dream world, I can control what the F's going on. Show you what's up. And I mean, yeah, but, you know, that is what he'd say. Um, and the Fair. other side of the story comes from known asshole con artists, etc. Dolly. So I do feel like we can feel confident that Tanner's probably telling at least more truth than she is and here. truthiness, you know? Yeah. Helena isn't hearing it, though. And since Tanner back to the past, we menaced by a zombie wife. And then a few more zombie wives show up as well. I mean, they, that's not going to stop him. He's already iced one. <laughs> yeah, Get they plan to keep here, this. <laughs> oh, jeez. Come on, buddy. But they plan to keep the system running and torture Tanner forever as we see Helena being brought out of Gabriel. But on the view screen, Tanner has disappeared as well. And in the catacombs of the facility, a cyborg fist punches out of a glass tube. I mean, this is not a good thing for any of the people involved. He has, like, they do know what he's done so far from what we've seen him do, right? Yeah, like, he's, a, he's a badass action star. You know, this is, like, not a good thing to do keep, if you want to kind of survive. He beat the shit out. And like, okay, I know this is still, like, a very small thing. N- like, no good necks dressed as, as knights in armor with, yeah. with like, flails. Beat yeah, the shit he took out, out the Ren... He, he beat that whole gang of Renfair Furies, absolutely. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I called them that for the record. Okay. That, that's not what they're called. I mean, that's what they should be called. Yeah, just like the warriors, but with like, you know, armor and shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's from, the like... baseball furies. Oh, you know? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I got these jokes. So <laughs> the baddies talk overconfidently about what happened to Tanner as the man himself sucks the catacombs. Security reports movements, so a team is sent down with stun guns. And in the catacombs, uh, Tanner's walk is, is waking up Gabriel clients, pulling them out of their fantasies. A security card arrives and zaps Tanner. But like the guns against the Zini, the t- stunners do nothing. Yeah, that's what's up. I am awesome. And I'm going to yeah. just finger bang you to death. He walks, he walks calmly to a guard and punches him out. The rest of the security team arrives and Tanner just absorbs their stunner fire. 
takes him out hand to hand. Dolly says they'll need heavier artillery as Tanner pulls a communicator from a fallen goon and tells Mr. Gray he's coming for him. Yeah, that's right. He looked on the back of uh, the jewel case um, for the correct uh, uh, like scan frequency for his codec. Yeah, of course. Etc. That was a reference. Snake! <laughs> you seek, you see, like the boss taught you. Next time on Below Zero, Apocalypse in Paradise. Oh, it's beautiful. Love it. 10 out of 10. Still, I mean, is Tanner ever not going to be the thing that I love to read? Because I love, I love this entire Zero series. It's so good. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, yes, because we're about to finish this and then, and then it never comes back. Uh, <laughs> so what a, what a fucking choice that is. Great work, everybody. <laughs> I, I'll say I feel like we're some of the lone voices in the wilderness saying that uh, these zero stories are decent. Oh, uh, my God. Like. Then everybody is dumb and I like, come at me, bro. Fight me. That's what I keep saying. And speaking of controversial thrills, Fox, let's talk about <laughs> Thrill 7 Dead Meat. Oh, what? This is controversial? Oh, yeah. Really? Not well liked in the community. I think it's cute. I think it. I think it is exactly adorable. I mean, you know, whatever. Maybe it's got things to say or whatever, but I don't think it's really plugging that so hard. At least not yet. I uh, yeah. Let's talk about here. Uh, Script robot Michael Cook. Art robot Simon Jacob. Letting about Alita Fell. Um, Yeah, Dead Meat. Yeah. So, like I said, listen. I like. Whatever you think about it, Dead Meat is a thrill that's generally one of the ones you list when you're talking about 90s, 2080 not being great. Uh, <laughs> like, I think it's fine. Like in the 90s with, with Babe Race and uh, Dead Meat yeah. and all that stuff. Okay. Um, you haven't gotten to Babe Race yet someday. Um, but listen, I'm, I'm interested in this story. So I definitely – I'm trying to give it a fair shot. Absolutely. We're two progs um, in, you know. Not going to – Yeah. I think it's cute. It's cute. I think also it's interesting to see, to think about how earnest this story is in its vegetarian messaging, I guess. Yeah. Like if it's if it's t- if it's actually taking a pro vegetarian stance or not, I guess. I feel like that's really where it needs to land, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's see. It's got a it's got a anyway. um it's got a uh planeteers this thing, or else it's not really gonna be on solid ground. I mean, I will say that the villains in this are extremely Captain Vi- Captain Planet oh, villains. Oh man, that's. I mean, that could that may be me just loving Schlock. Then okay, please continue. <laughs> I mean, we see a little bit of it here. You, you know, even in these issues. Oh sure, you know? I know. I, they hammed it up. They're like, ha, 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 look at us eat this meat out loud <laughs> yeah, as I talk about it. Yeah, let's, let's get there. So. <laughs> Anyway, we meet Inspector Ram, a cop who's some kind of sheepman from an organization called Pulse, which is police undercover livestock special enforcement patrol. They don't seem very undercover, I got to say. No, they're pretty much above cover. They're on top of the covers. Exactly. And um, his partner, Vera, and they're driving around in a car-like boat in a flooded London Big Ben barely peeking above the waves. Yeah, at least you still get to see the sights, I guess. 
Yeah, exactly. Walking home, Ram sees a cat kill a mouse and grabs it. He calls in the cat's tag and gets the address of the owner and then bursts in the door of the the house. So all of this this is what I loved because he like apprehended a cat, but then he was like super sweet to the cat. And then just I'm pretty sure just how he enters almost all situations is just busting through because the guy's a dumbass Ram. Yeah, Yeah, he's very very much a... A sheepy Judge Dread going yeah. on here, you know. Um, so he, he he talks to the cat lady. Um, she's pleased to have her cat returned, but there's bad news because Riddles the cat has killed a mouse. And apparently any animal killing any other is a crime in this England of the year 2047. Sure. He arrests the woman as an accessory and takes her away. Welcome to the animal kingdom. <laughs> See that? That's like, okay. I mean, that's just, oh, maybe that's me loving bad. It's fine. No, listen, don't feel bad about it, buddy. I'm, I'm for it. You know, it, it's fun. Let's do it. It's stupid. It's great. Yeah. At a swanky house, there's a dinner party going on. <laughs> Some kind of fancy food's being served. And from a skylight, Inspector Ram looks on. He's going in. There's some real italicized enjoyment. Well, this food is sublime. Ew. Yeah, it's very, very much that one Twilight Zone where you only see people's hands and backs until they turn out to be pig people. Yeah, (laughs) oh God, there's something wrong with his face. You got to fix it, but there's nothing wrong with his face. It's so delicious, this food. Yes, I've got it special from from that market. Ooh, you must tell us the next time it becomes available, old bean, etc. Yeah, exactly. And everything's just being served with, you know... I mean, it's meat looking. Yeah. Uh, Ram jumps through the window and arrests everybody. He pins one guy to a wall with a fistful of fancy knives and forks. Elsewhere, on an equally fancy yacht, the uh, the Shurgar, which is a famous racehorse, a bunch of upper upper class types are having a party to the first tally-ho, the start of the hunting season. The rich guys drink, though um, Ram's partner, Velma, who's here as well, abstains. Meanwhile, Ram is interrogating one of the party guests who's a chat show host. The first move, apparently, is just to jam a tube down his throat and start pumping his stomach. Yeah, I mean. And, you know, then I ask him <laughs> questions and stuff about an illegal substance he's eaten. Okay. The stomach pump comes back positive, and he's probably getting 10 years. Ugh. At the party, Velma observes how swanky the spread is for a food – for a country in a food crisis. But I guess that's just the lower crust as the party host gives a Captain Planet villain-level soliloquy on the wonders of food. <laughs> like with a knife in his hand as like someone's like, oh, yeah. would you like more of the you know specials, sir? Oh, don't worry, Velma. Don't worry, Miss Brett, about those ones. <laughs> Yeah, he's basically it's one of these it's one of these funny things he says food glorious food, which is um this song from the um, musical Oliver about like Oliver oh, yeah. Twist and stuff like that. And like when the when those kids are singing it, it's um they're like poor street kids who don't have a lot of food, so it's wistful. <laughs> But, but it takes a different it takes a different tone, yeah. When it's a rich guy who has a lot of food, you know what I'm talking and about, just, and also brandishing a knife. Yeah, it's you know it's one of these things where sort of sometimes who's singing a song from the music feels, a, it really feels a little bit like he's, he's making some meat pies, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> swing your razor high, sweetie, etc. Yeah, exactly. 
So she, yeah, but like you said, there was a special plate that the that this guy uh, studiously kept Velma from uh, checking out. Well, they're they're hitting you over the head with the subtext here. I guess in your yeah, words, yeah, that's yeah. not really subtext. It's just it's not it's not very subtextual. Like it's, it's just very. Text. Well, like, you know, like, is it subtext when it happens and then a character, like, what? almost literally winks at the camera as it's happening? <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't think it is. I mean, it depends on how Michael Bay the film is. It's like, it's like if you're, if you're seeing a production of uh, Oedipus and oh. he says, like, oh, like, there's some dude that's killed his dad and married his mom. I wouldn't like to be that guy. And then he says, like, a wah, like a, <laughs> a, a, a wink you can hear as he says it, you know? Oh, boy. Love it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> she gets a call on her communicator and rides to meet with Inspector Ram. They've got the results of the stomach pumps. Four cuts of prime beef. It's murder. All right there, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Next time on Dead Meat, A Day in the Country. Do you think uh, that these animal people slash regular people... Are okay with uh, anybody eating that meat? You gotta think not. You gotta think. He didn't arrest like, the cat. I'll say that much. He's like, this cat doesn't know what the fuck it's doing. You know? But it is a ridiculous, like, this is what liberals want sort of situation. Oh, where sure. you're responsible for your cat killing a mouse in the city. You know? Sure. Like, I definitely, so I, I get the overtones going on here. Um, I... I may love it because I think I think it's just ridiculous enough and just stupid enough to be great. This may be the dumbest thing I've, I've had to read in a while that I've really enjoyed because, like, <laughs> they <laughs> pumped a man's stomach while a man brandished a knife and, like, had to, like, st- like say without saying, food is great and I can't wait to murder something to eat meat. <laughs> absolutely oh it's so good it's so that's good. super fair all right yeah no okay cool let's yeah I'm, I'm down let's let's check this out we're gonna get this one for a little bit more i think we'll finish most of it next yeah we'll finish most stuff next episode i think but anyway um okay thrill eight future shots yeah all right first one the cruise a script robot francis lynn art robot arthur ransom letting robot alita fell i'm really so i mean i'm glad they went the angle that they did I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. it. Um, this is all I'll say about all of this. I'm just glad they didn't do like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pyramid aliens or something. I mean, it's kind of that in a way. They didn't? Uh, they, 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 did, they didn't do pyramid aliens here? I mean, they... I, they uh, <sighs> I mean, maybe not space aliens, but certainly weird like dimensional things yeah, and stuff there like we that, go. Buddy. There we go. 1939. Anyway, crazy yeah, shit happened back then. Yeah, it's crazy... I think it's really interesting to see a talent like Ransom doing a future shock just because he's mostly doing a lot of like Judge Anderson things. Oh, I and he's mean, got a he made it look big, fantastic. Big, like noteworthy stories coming <laughs> up here. So I'm 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 enjoying just a little chance to kind of dip in with I him mean here. Osiris has got he's yoked. Just FYI. Yeah. So at a movie location in Egypt in 1939, an explosion kills everyone <laughs> except for scre- screen queen Mona Von Romero, yeah. the queen of horror. Are we on the nose here yet? All right, I'm going to let you get through these. 
<laughs> we see the wreckage and from it flies a weird lion spaceship. But don't worry about that, baby. Uh, Mona arrives back in New York in a coat with a heavy hat and sunglasses and stuff. Her face is never seen again in daylight. Hounded by the press, she returns to her cabin on the cruise ship. And that night, a man on the ship is confronted by a woman in a hooded cloak and gets blasted. And the next day, something horrible <laughs> has happened to his face. Oh, gross. What's wrong with your face? <laughs> um, a steward comes into Mona's stateroom for breakfast and sees her face and it's a horror. Ugh. She's got triangle, eye, like, instead of, like, irises and shit, she's got, like, triangle marks on her eyeballs. Like and the pyramids. skull with um, brains and weird projections yeah, and shit weird, coming out good. of it. It's not good. Real bad. She zaps this guy with her eye lasers and thinks she's going crazy and wishes she was dead and had died in the ex- in the explosion. But then that lion spaceship shows up and explains she is dead. Man, uh, I love that, bird a, that, head, a, yeah. that a, a, a silly fucking bird head shoots out of that thing first and then yeah. becomes like a super ripped dude with a tiny bird head. Yeah, a bird headed Egyptian god type guy emerges from the ship. As sort of like a gas, he's kind of like a projection or something. It says he chose Mona as his bride to absorb energy from people and restore him to life one day. And she's like in his spell and like kisses his hand and stuff like that. And so Mona Romero became a movie star for generations and always had time for her fans. Because she blew their faces off with eye lasers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's got a real uh, real uh, killing gaze, this scream, scream queen. Oh, yeah, buddy. Presumably at night her face is fixed, I think. That's what we're, that's what we're implying here. Oh, okay. So like a dark man thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. She's dark man in it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Liam Neeson is Lady Romero. I'm ready. I feel like I feel like that's I feel like that's the role Liam Neeson was born to play. Do, do, do some do some cross dress and stuff. Oh that's, my you know. god. I mean he was fantastic in Dark Man, you know. Yeah. My opinion. Oh, yeah. Listen, Liam Neeson's good in like you know, bet on Neeson, buddy. Mm. Come on. It's real tall. It's Irish. Whatever. It's beautiful. Next story, packed with the devil. Script robot. Um, oh, I got it wrong. Oh, geez. Wait, no. Yeah. Francis, Francis Lynn. Lynn again. Francis Lynn, Eric Bradbury, and Alita Fell again. Keeping this team together for the most part. London, the year 2500. Yeah, okay. A young Charles Darwin, just the name, you know, whatever, wants to be a top arrow ball player now played with like hover boots instead of jetpacks. Yeah. This is over the objections of his overprotective father. And at practice, things go bad. This version of Arrowball seems very dodgeball-like as D- Darwin plays too hard and very dangerously lands on his head and stuff. And he gets kicked off the team. That's why you got to throw his- wrenches at him. Yeah, come on. Dodge wrench. Dodge an Arrowball. On his way home, he bumps into a shady-looking dude in black with a red carpet bag. Not good. He offers to make Darwin a top Arrowball player in exchange for his soul. Okay, no problem. I'd love to give yeah. you my soul. I'm, I'm, you know, really don't believe in all that. So, you know, here Absolutely. you go. Darwin accepts and gets a pair of magic boots. The next day, but you can't take them off. Chance. There's a condition: no. no taking them off. Yeah, keep those boots on. 
Next day, he gets another chance and wows everyone with sweet arrow ball moves. But once he gets home, his no-good dad forces him to take those boots off. And when his when he does, his feet turn into fiery cloven hooves. Look at his hooves. Now that's what I call athlete's foot. <laughs> we need some tough acting to actin. Oh, yeah. Get it here, John Madden. Excellent. Beautiful. All right. Baruka cream or whatever you call oh, it in England. Oh, yeah. But with that said, Fox. Oh, my God. I have a question for you, which is one, <laughs> do you have cloven hooves? And two, what are your top and bottom through? One, uh, no, I do not have cloven hooves. Although I like, because, you know, you need the backwards like kind of thing for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have a, those uh, yeah, those legs that do the thing. Because I, I, I'd be all right with that because then I could like, you know, kind of hop up and down mountainscapes real, real easy. Uh, wouldn't really mm. have to worry about shoes. Would just have to like you know kind of file down my hooves once in a while. Seems like a, a real fair. win. Plus, if they're furry, you know, good for the good for the winner. Not really spending a lot of a lot of leg based cash on those things. Although you would have oh, to yeah, get like longer like jeans or something. Yeah, you'd have to get like you'd have to wear like those jinko jeans or something like oh, that. No. Like oh, get a, wi- a wide leg. To fit your crazy new, oh, new, and then uh, like for legs. Halloween, I'd go as the guy from um from the uh, hand or Manos, the Hands of Fate. Like I'd put some watermelons on my knees and be like, bah, 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 don't bah. be, don't be Torgo, man. That's terrible. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so for bottom, I'm giving that to Rogue Trooper. I'm done. I'm pretty over <laughs> it, man. Like it was fine. Uh, but like it's also very easy and it, it was my least favorite thing to read oddly enough everything else I was very engaged with um, for various mm-hmm. reasons uh, I would be giving this to below zero but I'm not giving it to below zero because I, while I love below zero man my top you gotta know I mean Conrad you gotta know this is windward and cord in indigo prime story killing time smith and weston Part six through what is that? Uh, eight, uh, ten, nine, I think. Nine, yeah, yeah. It's fucking fantastic from from uh, fucking first to last. I love this story. I love it, and it gets so gross. It gets so gross, Conrad, and it gets so serious, and yet it like still whimsical. Um, I'm really curious to see where it goes because I don't know where it's gonna go, and that to me. That's fun. Like, I'm not, I, like, I can't even guess, which is, to me, yeah. uh, like, highly compelling for the whole thing. The art, of course, the writing, of course. Like, it's just all, this is, like, a, a very good contender for, for like, one of my top thrills of the year, top stories, you know? Nice. Um, it's just really good. Um, so that's where I sit. So, Conrad. Mm. Uh, I mean. For myself? Well, I mean. If it's not too personal, one, do you have cloven hooves? And two, what are your top and bottom thrills? I do not. Um, I don't know if I'd be down for cloven. I'd, I'd be I'd be down for like a horse hoof, I oh, think. Oh, okay. Like like a half centaur? Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like, like I just want like 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 you, you get like the metal shoe and then you're good to go. Do you, you know? Would you want like the juicy back leg of a horse or like the, the like slimmer front leg of a horse? I feel like you gotta have that juicy leg, Fox. Just I've I've seen like you know like like satyrs and shit. I'll have like the back bending leg. And yeah, stuff as exactly. To the front bending leg. You know, but honestly, pretty happy with like my Normal human legs. body. Not really interested. 
Like I've 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 gamed it out a little bit, but honestly, like if you were asking me, like what kind of animal thing I'd like grafted onto my body's legs would not be my first choice. Oh, I know? mean, hell no. Tail is like number two. I want to I want I want to I want a bloodhound uh, snout fox. Ooh, I'm tired of this. That's nose. cool. Or would you also get like the the like uh, like long ears? Or like a gorilla arms, actually. Ooh, That'd be pretty oh, good. Oh, man. Gorilla arms is so great because you could like just crush things. Yeah, they'd be like like Hulk hands, but like whole arms. Well, and like basically. you wouldn't – you could only wear like uh, – like you're, you can't have gotta sleeves. Go they all gotta, yeah, they all gotta no. be like, like pulled off, you know? So yeah. cool. So that's my take. That's my take there. <laughs> my take for thrills. I think I'm going to agree with you, buddy. Rogue Trooper bottom – Killing time top. Hell this yeah. seems like a pretty easy month. Solidarity, honestly. baby. Loved killing time. Really great. Um, Rogue Trooper. Happily happy to put it on the bottom. <laughs> Fine. Get out of here. What? And just nothing else is that bad because I feel like you know, like you. I mean, you know, I've sort of. I am a little bit more skeptical about dead meat. Sure, but it's very much. Um, I'm trying to give it a shot, and it's just starting. Um, yeah, and while I've been disappointed like, like before, you said, multiple yeah, times, like like below zero is a lot of fun, and Bix Barton was pretty fun as well, and stuff like that. And I like some of the dread stories. Um, Killing times just real masterwork, and yes. so it's you know it's hard not to put it in the top, basically. Exactly, and I, I I will say just because we have mentioned it, dread pulling its weight, doing its yeoman's work, but my God, yeah, I like it, that it's kid story. Way. I like that Soviet story. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of these stories, actually. They're all pretty good. Yeah, it was a good month overall. I'm, I'm mourning the death of a cool Johnny Cool. He was kind of a fun side character. Sure. But, you know, that's how it goes in Mega City 1. Yeah, you know? everybody dies except Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Dread, jo- Dread dies sometimes, but you can't keep him down, you know? Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch or the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, Space Spinner 2000, you'll find us there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Zane Kip Miller, and your friends at the 2080 forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show, receive excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of Modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Hey, why not? Yeah. Then come back next time as we'll reach the dramatic conclusions of Indigo Prime and Night Zero. Oh. Judge Dredd will deal with the Muzak killer, and the Harlem heroes will briefly return. Oh, Oh, good. It's only for a little bit. We're steaming towards Prague 750. We're nearly there. Okay. And until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Who's <laughs> <Slunging laughs> <the> Brick? <laughs>